Well, good morning, church. Good to have you all gathered together in one place to worship God. And this morning as we worship Him, I'm just so thankful that, um, again, we, we have this opportunity. Uh, as we t- talked about the last few weeks, just, just around the world, church, churches, Christians that are persecuted for their faith, we have the freedom to come here, and I'm so thankful for that. You know, I heard a story about a little boy. He was praying at dinner one time, and his father had asked him, he said, son, would you lead us in prayer tonight? And the little child's like, yeah, I'll pray. So the little boy bows his head. He goes, dear Harold. Father looked up, Harold. And so he interrupted his son's prayer right away. He said, son, 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 son. Um, God's name is not Harold. But dad, at church, we were in church the other day, and, and you know, we were all gathered together, and we said, our father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. And it's like, son. It's hallowed. It's holy. Sometimes we get a little confused when we pray to our God, don't we? We forget that He is holy. We sort of say, well, He's sort of like this. And we sort of box Him in. And He's like, but is He holy? I'm so thankful that like, sometimes you pick up the phone call and you make that call. And you're calling a business. You're calling somebody. And you get all those options. Aren't you so thankful that when we pray to God, we don't get a voicemail or a voice message or, or something saying, hey, thank you for calling my father's house. Please select one of the following. Press one for request. Press two for thanksgiving. Press three for complaints. Press four for an angel. If you'd like to hear David sing a song to you, press number five. To find out if one of your loved ones is here in heaven, hit the dial, dial in the date of their date of their birth and death, and then we will find their name for you. Aren't you so glad we don't have those kind of options when, when we pray? Or, or for reservations for my father's house, punch in J-O-H-N-3-1-6 and wait for more re- information, right? I'm so thankful that we don't have that. Now, can you imagine? I, I would admit when I pray, it would be nice to maybe audibly hear the voice of God. But here's the thing. When I pray, there's no options. God hears. There's no please wait on the line. God hears. God hears our prayers. And I want you to hear that from me this morning because as we are in the book of Acts, we get to Acts chapter 12. And you can go ahead and start turning there now if you want to Acts chapter 12. Um, But I'm so thankful that as, as we get into this next chapter, dealing with persecution, dealing with all the things that go on in life, we really need prayer. I don't have to sit there and wonder, did God hear my prayer? I don't have to question that. Now, I might question when it's going to get answered, maybe. That might happen. But I know he hears me. And the early churches we've been looking at, it was growing. It was spreading into other cities, other countries. Due to the persecution that was going on that we talked about the last couple weeks, the church was on the move. And we talked about last week, including a major city, one of the three largest cities in the Roman Empire, a very promiscuous, a very immoral city. Even that city was hearing the good news, and people were coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ. It was the city of Antioch, and it was in that city where the believers were first called Christians. But here again, as faith grew, even in the darkest of places, as faith grew, opposition grew as well. It just seems like every time we get excited about our faith, boom, there's another obstacle, another roadblock, another 
something that just like stops you, right? Well, that's where we are. Acts chapter 12. Read with me. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Verse 4. Then he imprisoned him, that's Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. You may want to underline that. That is really the main verse for this whole chapter that I want you to see today. Verse 5. While Peter's in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Before we get into the prayer and all this, let's just get some uh, things straight. Who is this Herod? This, this tend-to-be name that pops up throughout the Bible, that's because he had a lot of relatives. It was his grandpa that was Herod uh, Agrippa, that was Herod the Great, I'm sorry, who ruled in the days when Jesus was born. That Herod the Great was the one that had all these boys killed in hopes that baby Jesus would be killed too. That was his grandpa. He had an uncle, not so nice either, Herod Antipas. He was the one that, when Jesus was on trial, stood before Herod Antipas. These Herods were all alike. They had this pride mixed with insecurity. They were people pleasers. They wanted the spotlight all for themselves. And if anybody was going to get on the throne or in the spotlight, they wanted to quickly remove them. That was the life of a Herod. And this Herod, Herod Agrippa, he was looking for blood. He took James, the apostle, and had him killed. It pleased, it said, it pleased these citizens. It pleased these Jewish people. And he's like, whoa, I got people back on my side. I got people applauding me. Well, if I kill one and it made people happy, how about I kill two? So he arrested Peter with the plans to execute Peter. However, Passover celebration. Now, he understood this really pleased the Jews, but at the same time, it's a Passover now, so probably should wait till the Passover is over. So he puts him in prison. Now, there's a new development in church history here. I'm going to pause for a second just to help make sure you see what's going on. We know Stephen was the first one to be killed for his faith. And we saw Christians being put in prison, being beaten, driven out of their home city into other cities and other places. But Stephen, although the first to be martyred, it was James, the first of the apostles, to be killed for their faith. That's a big thing. Because up to this point in time, if you're like me, you look at the 12 disciples, excluding Judas, okay? You look at those disciples, you say, these are special people. They have divine protection. I mean, they walked with Jesus. So nothing's going to happen to them, right? James is put to death. All of a sudden, there's that mindset of, oh, if it can happen to James, it can happen to anybody. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, one who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, have you ever felt like, but God, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. These things shouldn't be happening to me. Why do bad things happen to me? How about bad things happen to people who don't believe in you, Jesus? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had that thought of, why me? I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. 
this shouldn't be happening to me. And James, in particular, he was one of the elite. Peter, James, John. We always heard those three all the time. They were like, not just part of the 12. They were top three. Can you imagine the other disciples? Oh, there goes Peter, James, and John again up to the mountain with Jesus. They always get this special time with Jesus, right? So, I mean, of all people, he was one of the elite of three. I don't know if you remember this moment back in the book of Mark, chapter 10. James and his brother John are walking with Jesus. And they're having this discussion with Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus. John and I, you know, when your kingdom is settled, can, can we be on your left and your right? I mean, he's asking for the top two spots. And Jesus, on the right and the left, are you serious? Remember the reply from Jesus? Jesus said this, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I'm about ready to be baptized? And they're like, Sure. You don't know what you're saying, James. Just as I was going to be crucified, just as I'm going to be put to death, are you ready to be put to death because of your faith? Now, had he maybe spelled it out a little bit more, maybe James would have replied differently. But Jesus promised no special protection for his followers. If you're in here this morning and you're like, hey, so I'm a member of True North Church and I'm a Christian, I've, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Do I get a little card? Do I, can I carry that with me? So when something bad happens, I can sort of flash like, ah, I got my Christian card. I got my Jesus-believing card. Is there anywhere like that? No. Let me put a couple uh, scriptures on the screen. A couple, moments, a couple moments when Jesus paused and talked to his disciples and said, let me remind you of something. First of all, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. That's us. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Church, listen. As a Christian, people will tell lies about you. People will make fun of you. People will mock you because you are a Christian. And Jesus says, be happy about it. Blessed are you. Be very glad. A great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets we're persecuted in the same way. Jesus like, hey, just as the disciples are persecuted, just as the prophets were persecuted, you will be persecuted. So if you're sitting in a room this morning and you've not been persecuted yet, then maybe that's because nobody knows you're a Christian. I'll tell you, as soon as people know you're a believer, you will be persecuted. You'll be made fun of. You'll be laughed at. You'll be lied about. At some point in time in your life, it will be evident and somebody will make sure that you know it. Jesus said this, verse Matthew 5, 44, but I say, Love your enemies. Wow, come on. Pray for those who persecute you. That's even tougher, isn't it? When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you've reached all the towns of Israel. Jesus said, when you're persecuted. Oh, if you're, no, no, when you are persecuted. One more scripture, Matthew 24. Then you will be arrested. You will be persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, but the love of many will grow cold. It sort of sounds like today, doesn't it? People less loving, less kind. Uh, sin's rampant and... People, you know, are just being made fun of because of their faith. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Persecution is part of the Christian life. We talked about this last week. These men knew it. These disciples knew it. These church leaders knew it. But here's the thing. The fear of man did not outweigh the fear of God. 
They feared God. They obeyed God more than they worried about what other people thought. And that's why James was put to death. And now Peter is arrested. I mean, how dangerous is Peter, by the way? Did you see how they took care of him? Four squads of four soldiers. So they had four different squads that took care of him. The first squad would come in, chain one leg to one soldier, chain one leg to the other soldier, or arm leg, whichever one, or both. And then two guards right outside the cell. I mean, that is incredible security for one man. And all he was ever known for was pulling out a little dagger and cutting off a guy's ear in a garden. Guy's super dangerous, right? Well, maybe Herod's like, oh, but I remember when the apostles escaped earlier in prison. You remember that maybe from Acts chapter 5? But maybe Herod remembers that. So he's like, let's put incredible guard duty on this guy, right? So what's the church doing all this? Remember, go back to verse 5. Take a look at Acts chapter 12, verse 5. The church was praying very earnestly. The church was praying. Herod had its soldiers. Herod has his prisons. But the people of God have prayer. Who has the greater power? I mean, to our visible eye, when we look at military, when we look at uh, authority, we look around and, and, you know, and our faith is wavering a little bit, it seems that sometimes the power belongs to mankind. But is that true? No. When every other gate is shot, is shut and locked, when the, the gate to heaven at that point in time is wide open. Mankind might just want to shut you down and think you can't. God says, I can. Right? The church is doing what it should always be doing, praying. And right here, that's the thrust of today's message, right there. And let me tell you something about what in verse 5, when it said they were earnestly praying, it was, that word earnest means constant. It, it had the, the literal, the, the picture of this in, in Greek shows like a guy stepping on a step stool, and he's going for the very top shelf in the kitchen, and he's on that top, top uh, step, he's at the top shelf, he's reaching as high as he can. He's like stretching. You know what I'm saying? That's the word earnestly right there. When I'm praying, I'm doing everything I can. God, hear my prayers. That's what the church was doing here. In the New Testament, you're only going to find this word three times. That's it. The first time Luke uses it when Jesus is in the garden praying. And he's praying so earnestly, so hard that sweat is dripping and it says it's like blood. That's one time it's prayed. Here's the second time it's used in Acts. The last time is when Peter himself uses it in his book that he writes, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me, let me read this to you. Peter says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude and be ready to suffer too. Did you hear that? Peter's like, hey, hey Jesus suffered. Church, church, listen, wake up. You're going to suffer too. Arm yourselves with the same attitude to be ready. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Did you hear that? Teenagers, did you hear that? Freshmen going into high school for the first time, did you hear that? Why do I say it like that? Your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. You see, when you decide to be a Christian, you put that behavior behind you. They say, I'm not going to watch anymore. I'm not going to speak like that anymore. I'm not going to treat people like that anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. When you decide to do that, and you decide not to live this way anymore, your friends will make fun of you. And the peer pressure is on to act like everybody else, to look like everybody else. Well, I just want to fit in. I want to be loved. There's only one who's going to love you. The only way you could ever be loved, and that is God. 
I'm sorry, your parents can't love you. Your best friend can't love you the way God can, only God can love you. But yet we strive for it. It's like, well, I want them to love me, so I'm going to make that decision. So in other words, God wants you to do this. Your friends want you to do this. Who just wins? Your friends? Peter warns us. He says, listen, as soon as you turn your back on your, on your friends, because like, you know what? My God is more important than my friends. My God is more important than my family. My God is more important than my employer. I've got to live for God. So I'm putting aside that wild, destructive actions that I used to do, and I'm going to choose to live for God. And what does Peter say? Remember, they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both living and God. Peter's like, hey, in the end time, you know who you're going to stand before? Not your friends. You're going to stand before God. You're accountable to God, not whoever. That's hard, isn't it? Because he's like, oh, my friends decide my social life. No, no, no. You decide your own social life. And you stand before God. They have to stand before God too. Are you ready to stand before God and be accountable for your actions? He says this, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest in prayer and disciplined in prayer. That's the third time that word is used. Peter's talking about everything that's going on in the world. And he says, stand up for Jesus. And he says, you know how you can do that? By prayer. Earnest prayer. When you place your faith in God through Jesus, you will face challenges just like everybody else. We have something in common here today. Okay? We're all different. We all have different TV shows we like or books to read or food desires or whatever you know. We all have different sleeping patterns. But you know what we all have in common here? The one thing we have in common here is this. We'll all face challenges. And we all have the same outlet to go to for help. That's our Heavenly Father. The church prayed to God. Look at verse 6. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him, and he said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off. Then the angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. And the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought he was in a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. Verse 10. They passed the first, second guard post, came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through, started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. But Peter came to his senses. It's true, he said. The Lord has sent his angels, save me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. This guy is on death row. He's heavily guarded. And he is, wait for it, sleeping. I don't know about you. One of my best friends, he gets murdered, James, right? And now I'm on the same, I'm, same thing's going to happen to me tomorrow morning when I wake up. They're going to pull me out. They're going to chop off my head. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be executed, right? I don't know if I'm sleeping. But Peter took his own advice. What he tells us later in that same book that he wrote, First Peter, he says, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. So he must have been casting his cares on Jesus. He felt at peace. He fell asleep. He was sleeping so good, so hard, it said the angel came up and struck him. It wasn't like tap him on the shoulder. Peter, wake up. It wasn't a little nudge. He had to strike him. He had to wake him up. 
some theologians, as they get to this point in time, you know, they start talking about everything that was going on. But what I love is the church is praying. The chains fall off. And that's the power of prayer. That's the power of God. And Peter's like, he thinks he's in a vision, but then he discovers, no, this is, this is really happening. He comes to his senses. He is free. He's no longer in chains. He's no longer in a cell. He's past the, the, the gates of the doors of, the, of this prison. He's outside the prison. Oh, but wait a minute. Do you see what he comes to next? The iron gate. See, the iron gate is like that. It's this big obstruction. It's like, I've gotten through this. I've gotten through this. I've gotten through this. But then you got this iron gate. And here's where the theologians look at this and they say, that iron gate sort of symbolizes the impossible things that we look at and say, I'll never get beyond that. And this iron gate was controlled by soldiers. It was heavy. It was a blockade. But if you look here, Scripture says what? The iron gate leading to the city opened for them all by itself. The Greek word there is automate. It automatically opened for them. To me, it was like Peter saying, I've gotten as far as I can go. The angel's gone, but then the gate opens all by itself. A lot of us in here have some iron gates. Maybe you've been freed from certain things. Maybe you've been challenged by certain things in your life. But now you're facing another big thing in front of you. It's like, okay, God, you've helped me through this part of my life. You've helped me through this part of my life. You've helped me through this part of my life. And now I've got this in front of me, an iron gate. And I don't see the answer. I have no idea how you're going to open this up to me. I have no idea how you're going to swing this wide open so I can walk on through. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But God does it. Kids going off to college, starting new jobs, or just do this. What's going to happen when? Just finish that sentence. All of us have those in our life. Those are the iron gates, but God will take care of it. James Boyce tells of a story. His name is uh, Sundar Singh. He was a Christian in Tibet. Sundar uh, had been out preaching the gospel. He got arrested. This was not too long ago. He got arrested for his faith. And his penalty. They opened up this pit, threw uh, Sundar down into this pit, covered the well back up, locked it up, keys put away. At the bottom of this well are the bones and the corpse of other bodies that have been thrown down there before. He knows that's his fate. He will die at the bottom of that well, just like all the others. And as he is laying there, he's praying. Three days later, he heard somebody unlocking the, the the cover above his head. They pulled the cover aside, a rope dropped down, and a voice said, grab onto the rope, I'll lift you out. So there's a loop at the bottom of the rope. He put his foot in there. He had broken his arm when he fell into the well. He got pulled out. As he got pulled out, he reached the top. He put the cover back onto the well, locked it back up, and he turned around to find his rescuer, and there was no rescuer. Nobody was there. When morning came, he went back to the place where he first started preaching, and he was arrested again. This time he was brought before the same official and the same official was like, how did you get out? That was under lock and key. Where's the key? Search for the key. And they were searching for the key, searching for they couldn't find it until the official finally realized the key was attached to his own belt. God is still freeing people today. The soldiers, the chains, the guard posts, the iron gate were all nothing when God is in charge. When the church prays, incredible things happen, right? And, and I was thinking about this because here's the point. We get to this point as Christians, we're like, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And God answers prayer, right? But 
what about one of those moments when he doesn't answer prayer? James was killed. Okay, Peter's free, but James died. Where's the answer prayer there? You know, sometimes, and, and I, I really appreciate as Pastor Dave was, he was leading worship. He paused in the middle of that song and talked, actually answered that question. And I don't know if you're paying attention. In those moments when maybe we don't think that prayer is answered, God is still at work. And God was at work. God wasn't done with Peter yet. Peter was like, you know what? God still has some plans for me yet, so my heavenly home is not coming. So he's almost like, it seemed like he was almost untouchable to be, you know, he wasn't harmed. It was time for James, but it was not yet time for Peter. And sometimes when God answers prayers certain ways, we don't always understand why he does or does not answer prayers the way he does. But sometimes he answers prayers. It just wasn't the way we wanted it answered. We just trust him. He's, he is a God who has all the answers and things that we can't see and knowledge beyond our understanding, wisdom that we can't comprehend. So we trust him, right? So what happens next? Well, let's read on in Scripture, verse 12. Um, I mean, what's, what should be the first thing you do when you're free, right? Uh, I wrote this down earlier this morning because I didn't know what songs we were singing. And the first song we sang this morning is You've Done Great Things. Remember that song we started off with? Do you remember some of the words to the lyrics of you, we have, you have Done Great Things? We said, Hallelujah, God, above it all. Right? We all sing about it. He's unshakable. You've done great things. Do you remember a couple of lines? You free every captive. You break every chain. So what do we do when God breaks the chains, when God frees us? We praise him. So Peter's like, I need to go say thanks. I need to go visit the church. The church is praying for me. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door of the gate. A servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she didn't open the door yet, she was so overjoyed Instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. And when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. We've talked about this story before. We always said it was so humorous, to me, humorous, because Peter is outside the door. Let me in. They're inside doing what? Praying for Peter to be released. Peter's released. They're praying, answered prayers at the door, and they're not opening the door. That sometimes is really, I don't know, that's us, the church. We pray and we pray. And we're like, God, can you please help us with this? And God answers prayer. But yet we're, sometimes we, we're, we're very hesitant on how to pray. Because what if God doesn't answer? So I think sometimes we pray with guarded emotions. We pray, well, God, if it's your will to be done, we want it to be God's will, right? But if it's your will, God, so we almost we protect ourselves by saying, well, I want that person to be healed. But if they're not healed, that's okay. Where's our faith? We, we pray for that, right? They were praying for Peter to be released. And I think they pray like a lot of us Christians. We pray with that guarded emotion like, but what if he doesn't get free and he's killed like James, right? Because as they were earnestly praying, answered prayers at the door. Look at verse 16. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. It's like, hey, God answers prayers. We're like that, aren't we Christians? We pray, 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 and then God answers the prayer. And we're like, oh, wow, he actually answers prayers. Yes, God answers prayers. He motioned for them to quiet down, told them how the Lord had led them out of prison. Then he said, tell James, which is the brother of Jesus. This is a different James. See, remember this? The brother of Jesus didn't even believe in Jesus. The, the family members of Jesus besides Mary, you know, the brothers and sisters, the siblings, they're like, 
Jesus is a, is a fake. He's a fraud. That changed later, right? Now James is one of the church leaders. And the first thing Peter says, make sure you let James know. Let all the other church leaders know. And then he took off. Peter was very encouraged by what happened, obviously. He wanted them to be encouraged. He thanked them for praying. Praise God. God did this. Now spread the word. Our God's bigger than Herod. Make sure everybody knows that, right? That's the last we hear of Peter. He's mentioned one more time in the book of Acts. But this is really the last we hear of Peter. Uh, we get into, down the road here, the, the missionary journeys of Paul and a few other um, in, the, in the book of Acts. But look at verse 18. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter, as there should be. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards, sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, they had, this was the fate. Whatever the prisoner was in prison for, whatever his fate was, which was execution, if I'm the prisoner or if I'm the guard and my prisoner escapes, I have to take his penalty. So those soldiers that were on duty, four squads of four, so 16 soldiers lost their life because one man got freed. That's how evil Herod was. I mean, that's how evil Herod was. Sometimes like, well, how come God didn't listen? Listen, sometimes evil is just horrible. And I don't know why, you know, one man got free and 16 had to die. But this is how horrible evil is, how rotten sin is to the core. Herod was very angry. Look at verse 20. He was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with them because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. Verse 21. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. And the people gave him a great ovation, saying, It's the voice of a God, not a man. Here's what's happening. These people are dying. They're starving. They go to Herod to make peace with him. So they become, let's just butter him up. You know, like, oh, we're going to laugh at your jokes that aren't funny. And we're going to praise you even though you don't deserve praise. And they just, they just, oh, Herod, you're so awesome. Oh, it's like the voice of God, not a man. At that point in time, what should Herod do? What should anybody do? When the, when the praise comes, if, if, if there's praise or celebration, you duck and let them see Jesus, Christians. That's what we do. If somebody says, thanks for doing that, you say, you're welcome. But then you turn around and say, God, thank you. We always got to make sure the glory goes to God. Herod is a thief. He tries to steal the glory that belonged to God. He tries to, to take the applause which does not belong to him. And when you take from God what does not belong to you, something bad can happen. Verse 23, instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. He had something internal going on both spiritually and physically. Worms ate him inside out, dead, corrupt. What do we learn? Hey, what belongs to God? Give to God. Glory belongs to God. Christians do not take what belongs to God. Worship belongs to God. Do not accept worship from other people. Do not accept glory from other people. It all belongs to God. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. There's going to be people all throughout our lives that are going to want to shut down God. 
famous authors and speakers have always spoken out against God. Friedrich uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher, coined the phrase, God is dead. Christianity was a despised religion for weaklings. He fought God and it drove him insane. He spent the last several years of his life in an insane condition. Sinclair Lewis uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. He fought against God in his book called Elmer Gantry. The book was about an evangelist who was an alcoholic and slept around with all these other women. Sinclair Lewis died an alcoholic at a clinic near Rome. Writer Ernest Hemingway lived a life of adventure, but it was a sin against, his sin against God seemingly had its consequences. He took his own life. He fought God. It didn't work. All these authors, all these speakers, all throughout life there will be people who will oppose God. And you just can't oppose God and win. Herod discovered that too. We have a contrast between Herod and the church. Herod was all about power and pride. And he died that way. The church should be all about prayer and praise. And that's how we live. Worship team, would you come forward, please? We get to the end of this chapter. And there's some key things, really, I want to remind you of. Our faith will put us in a place of opposition. Our faith should also put us on our knees. Prayer must be a priority in the life of Christians. So Christian, let me ask you, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life, church? Uh, can it get better? Absolutely. We come here to, to praise God, but we do also come here to pray. You know, we have this room off to the side here. We said, that's a good prayer room. So before the service, anybody wants to go in here with a group of people and pray, just pray for the church service. Pray that we're worshiping God. Pray that, that it's, you know, God's word is opened and not just opinions are, are shared. We, we pray for lives to be changed eternally. We pray that, that when, I, when, I, when I preach, it's like God speaks and not me. We, what do we pray? Pray for that, right? Now, do you have to be in that room to pray? No, you can pray in your car when on the way here. You can pray anywhere. But how are we doing as a church gathering together to pray more often? I think we need to do that better. I grew up in a church where we had Wednesday night prayer meeting. Basically, here's what happened. The youth had Awana. Uh, the, youth, or, so the kids had Awana. The high school had youth group. And the church had a prayer meeting. They'd go into sanctuary. We passed out all these prayer requests and everybody prayed. The church gathered to pray. And I don't know how earnestly my church prayed because I really don't remember going to those prayer meetings because I was always in the youth. But are we a church that prays earnestly, constantly? Are we like on the, that top step, reaching for the top shelf, reaching up to God, reaching with everything we got as we pray. Are we that kind of church? And do we do it together in small groups? Instead of fighting, a, you know, against the opposition that comes our way, we need to pray to God. We pray constantly, earnestly, believing that God, He does hear our prayers. Praying that God can answer our prayers. He's able. And don't be surprised when He does answer our prayers. That's a praise time. That's worthy to be shared with others. Would you stand, please? I know there's a Bible study coming out with prayer. I know the small groups are starting up. It's fall. Youth group is going to be kicking off soon. Tupas, GPS. I know the youth group has still been meeting on Wednesday nights with a small group Bible study. I think they're going to meet um, again, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday one more time. There, there, there's things that are really kicking up. And I, I would just say this, church, 
Don't make just Sunday morning a priority to praise Him, but make sure you make it a priority to pray to Him as well. Gather in small groups. Gather with family. Gather with friends. Pray together. Pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. I thank you, Lord, for a reminder in this story of, we look back in history, of a man that was freed because the church was praying. And we need to be a kind of church that prays too for each other because there are people in here that are chained up, maybe not physically with an actual chain and, and a lock, but maybe there's a sin that is has bound us up and kept us from being freely and freely worshiping you. Maybe we're, maybe some of us are, are tied to depression. Maybe some of us are, are anchored to anxiety. Lord, there's, there's things in our lives that are maybe holding us back. And as a church, we need to pray for each other. You've given us the job to be intercessors of prayer, to be ones that pray for each other. We don't just pray for the things in our lives that we want or need. We pray, want to adore you. We confess to you. We give you thanks. And we pray for each other. So Lord, right now as we're seeing, there's probably somebody in this room we know we need to pray for. Right now, Lord, we just go pray for them. Pray that they're free. Pray for their health. Pray for something they're struggling with. God, it's not selfish if that prayer all of a sudden turned back to us saying, God, I also need help. Because God, there might be somebody here this morning that's praying to you for the first time saying, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want to place my faith in you this morning. Hear that prayer, God. I know you do. Forgive us of our sins, Heavenly Father. Be the Lord of our life. Be the Savior of our life. Help us to live for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you hear our prayers. We love you, Lord. We just want to sing to you now in the same way. In your name we pray.